The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. at CNBC, and here is your top five at five. Coming out swinging. Your money looking strong to start the month. Future surge to kick off August. It's also a big deal Monday. Literally, with nearly $40 billion in M&A, one of which involves Jack Dorsey, and the largest deal in one country's history. COVID-19 cases continue to surge in some states as one state breaks a pandemic hospitalization record. But despite the scary headlines, we'll show you some data may make you feel better, a lot better. On Capitol Hill, the wheels keep turning on the Senate's $1 trillion infrastructure plan as it clears a key hurdle late last night. And despite an overnight surge, what happens now to stocks in China as government crackdowns have crumbled more than $200 billion in market value off their markets? A lot to do on this Monday, August 2nd, and this is Worldwide Exchange. Well, good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, and welcome from wherever in the world that you may be watching. I am Brian Sullivan. Great to be back with you after a long week on the road. And by the way, welcome to the first trading day of August. All right, let's jump right into it and see how things are looking to start the month. And they are looking pretty doggone good. We are seeing futures higher across the board. Dow futures up 200 points right now on a percentage basis, though. The Nasdaq is up even more, numerically up 90 but a very nice percentage pop for stocks, at least in the futures market, to begin their week and their month. Now, we are coming off a week where the major averages did fall a bit, but small caps, they were able to post gains last week. And of course, always remember, August does tend to be a little more of a volatile month. You got stock volumes drop, and we got a big data week as well with the July jobs number, some manufacturing numbers all out this week as well. Now, in the bond market, We'll show it to you because if you are a potential home buyer or maybe a potential refinancer, you can still smile because yields on the 10-year, they remain very low. They're at 1.24% right now. Wow. So how is the rest of the world looking to begin their month and their trading week? Why don't we find out? Jumana Versace is standing by in our London newsroom. Jumana, a lot of green on your screen as well. Yep, that's correct, Brian. Uh, Starting off the month in a very positive footing. Uh, As you mentioned, the handover also from Asian markets was pretty positive overnight. We're seeing some stabilization come through in Chinese equities. So I think that's setting the the tone for a lot of these global markets this morning. You can see right behind me, every single European bourse is trading nicely in the green, starting with the FTSE 100 in the UK, up about one percentage point higher. Finally, through a clear break through that 7,000 mark, it's been a bit of a psychological barrier. But the FTSE 250, which is the more domestic-focused basket, uh, smaller caps, is at a record high this morning. So uh, we are continuing to see some new record highs in Europe. The Cacarante in France up about eight-tenths of a percentage point. Uh, again, 
positive numbers coming out this morning. Zetra DAX in Germany also up a third at a record high as well. But I want to take you to some of the developments that we've had uh, over the weekend, starting with the European stress tests for the banking system. So the European Banking Authority says the sector is resilient enough to shoulder another economic shock following its latest series of stress tests. But regulators also warn lenders with a high reliance on credit need to be cautious. So the takeaway for the banking sector is pretty positive, robust as a whole when it comes to capital, but still there are some banks they're flagging out, most specifically Deutsche Bank, Societe Generale, and Monte Tepaschi in Italy. Also, while we're talking about banks, let me just take you very quickly to HSBC, uh, which reported pre-tax profit soaring in the first half as its key markets recovered from the pandemic. The London-based lender also reinstated an interim dividend. You can see the stock is up about two-thirds of a percentage point. For the earnings season as a whole, Brian, it has been very strong for Europe. Second quarter earnings are up 120% year-on-year in Europe so far. 120% is not a bad number. Jumana Bersechi, thank you very much. Decent. <laughs> All right, now to this morning's top Monday money story, and it's a big deal. In fact, it is the biggest deal in one country's history. Another big deal. Contessa Brewer is with us this morning. Contessa, <laughs> good morning. Good morning, Brian, and thank you for that. Listen, this is the biggest buyout of an Australian firm in history. Square is buying Australian fintech company Afterpay for $29 billion in an all-stock deal. That translates to a roughly 30% premium to Afterpay's last closing price. And news sent share prices soaring on Australian trading. This deal marks a key expansion for Square into the booming installments payments market, dominated by companies such as Affirm and Klarna. Afterpay lets customers pay in four interest-free installments and only charges a fee if the customers miss an automated payment. It's 16 million customers eventually will be able to manage installment payments directly through the cash app. The deal is expected to close in the first quarter of 2022. Brian, apparently it's a big deal because Square is looking at those younger consumers who they say look skeptically at using credit cards, old fashioned credit cards. Plastic is so passe. Yeah, you see that now on so many websites, you know, what does it cost? 400 bucks or $23 a month for the next two years. Just click here. You just got to be careful that you make sure you add up all those $23 a month over and over. Contessa, we'll see in a few minutes. Big story on casinos okay. ahead. Thank you. All right, back down to the markets. And you may not realize it unless you are really counting at home. I mean, even we weren't. But stocks are up six months in a row. That's right. Six straight months of gains for the major averages. July was a good, not great, but good month for stocks, despite some of the new COVID concerns out there. So where do you put your money now heading in to what is usually a higher risk August? Let's welcome in Greg Hahn, Chief Investment Officer at Winthrop Capital Management. Greg, thanks for joining us. There's a lot of scary headlines out there. We know that not just around COVID, obviously new mask mandates, but the China threat. China's own government cracking down on its own companies as well. A lot of still things up in the air, but you have to allocate capital. So where are you putting it? Well, Brian, we got to remember we're living through two experiments that we've never lived through before. So these are not normal times. We're living through navigating capital markets through a pandemic, and we're also navigating through an economic recovery that we've been in a quantitative easing program now for since the financial crisis in 2009. 
So we are allocators. And so we are allocating money. We're still allocating within the S&P 500 and domestic stocks, but we are shifting. We've moved out of equal weight, uh, the weak, equal weight S&P 500, which we used alongside the, um, the regular S&P 500 just to capture the recovery stocks. Um, the second thing we're doing is we're actually increasing our exposure to China, which I know in the sell-off of China that we're all seeing, these, some of these companies are great companies that have audited financial statements through public accounting standards that uh, have really, really good business models, but have it's the baby with the bathwater. They've been thrown out. The valuations are significantly cheaper than they were a month ago, and they're cheaper than U.S. stocks. Well, yeah. In fact, Chinese stocks overnight had a big pop. I mean, Shanghai, Shenzhen, the Hong Kong, Hang Seng, they were all up. But one day yeah. does not a trend make, Greg, as you know. No. What makes you so confident that the worst so, of the damage, <laughs> given the the, the uncertainty around the Chinese government. What makes you so certain it's okay? Well, we, we don't. This, when we're investing in uncertainty. Um, but th- remember, this is, a, this is the Communist Party that has authoritative capitalism. It's not Western capitalism. And Brian, we had a shift uh, uh, two years ago. We, we started to really look at China differently. And this idea that China was going to come over to the Western way of doing business, we just threw that out the window and said, nope, they have their own model, their own rules. They'll always live by them. So what if we have two systems? What if we have authoritarian capitalism alongside Western capitalism? What does that look like for investors? And then we really started to say, okay, because the yuan, I was always taught, you know, I've been doing this for a long time, that the yuan was never going to be a reserve currency. Well, what if they just did a lot of trading and all their trading, uh, their, their global trading was done in the dom- denomination of the yuan? That, that really legitimizes how that currency stacks up. And, and we actually think it'll be the number three currency by the end of the decade. Wow. Pretty big comments there around China as well. Your point well taken, too, about the risk that is still out there very quickly in the United States. Any stocks, any sectors, Greg, that still look good to you? Because it's been a good run and valuations, they they may not be high, but they're certainly not low on any metric. No. And here's the thing. Investors have to remember, whenever there's aggressive monetary stimulus combined with aggressive fiscal stimulus, and we're about to get potentially another trillion-dollar infrastructure bill, which is going to be fiscal stimulus. It is a safety net for valuations. Valuations, domestic valuations, are going to look excessive uh, whenever there's aggressive stimulus in the market. Um, that, that actually is a catalyst, we think, uh, for investors. So we are staying allocated to, uh, to domestic equities. Um, on the stock side, man, you, you know, you dance with the girl that brung you. And we've we've been long all of the tech names that have um, been the stay at home. You could call them the stay at home stops. But Alphabet, Facebook, uh, Microsoft, uh, we still have Amazon in the portfolio. We're going to be exploring that here this this week after their earnings came out. That one's probably a little long in the tooth. But um, we've, we've we still have an exposure to tech okay. and still like that class. Well, let us know what you do decide on Amazon. Certainly a red-hot stock at 3357 bucks. Greg Hahn, a real pleasure to get you on to kick off the day and the week. Thank you very much. Thanks, Brian. Good to see you. All right, you're welcome on deck on this Monday. Call it, like we just talked about, a Beijing bounce. China stocks popping overnight. But as Greg said, there are still big risks overseas. We'll talk more about them coming up. And then, will Congress really get a big new spending bill done? We'll tell you what Senate negotiators accomplished on an infrastructure package and why it matters. The sun not yet up over the nation's capital. It is just 5.11 a.m. after all, but we're back after this. 
What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. All right, welcome back and good Monday morning. Welcome to August, by the way, and we are coming in looking very strong, strong like Ukraine. Look at that. Capital, Caterpillar, Boeing, Disney, Nike, J.P. Morgan Chase, they are all up this morning. And it's not just the big industrials and the Dow stocks. you got some technology names that are higher as well. NASDAQ futures, by the way, are up 90 points, higher on a percentage basis than the Dow and the S&P. We are seeing Baidu and some of the Chinese companies like Pinduoduo, as well as Moderna, Micron, and Tesla, all doing well with all the futures up. All right. Well, speaking of China, their recent crackdown on its technology sector has turned one former stock market darling into one of the world's worst stocks in July. Before last Thursday's bounce back, massive tech firm Tencent got a little less massive, dropping more than 23% in July alone. Now, it wasn't just that company. Nine of the top 10 destroyers of investor capital last month were big Chinese names. Names like Metwan, Alibaba, and the aforementioned Pinduoduo. All this is the Chinese government cracks down on big tech and spooks investors, stocks to, with ties to that country's military in particular. But is this fear perhaps a little bit overdone? Joining us now is MSA Capital Managing Partner Ben Harburg. Ben, it's good to have you back on the program as well. A big bounce back today, but kind of hard to read. I think the risk, and tell me if this is wrong, the risk just seems to be you, you invested a company, you don't know if tomorrow the headline for the government is going to be about your company or your CEO. They kind of come out of nowhere. It's, it's actually not as, as complicated as that sounds. Um, the, the reality is that if you look at a company-company basis and a sector-by-sector basis, it's actually a lot easier to determine where the trajectory of things is headed. So uh, a company uh, like Didi was one that was in scrutiny under uh, a regulator's eyes for quite some time as a result of um, issues around customer privacy, customer safety, uh, and also operating licenses around the country. Uh, on a sector basis, if you looked at things like education historically, it's for long been under scrutiny due to uh, fears that teachers were moonlighting rather than serving public school students, uh, that K-12 institutions were not necessarily following government guidelines and were being restricted from uh, IPOs and other M&A. So actually, these were not as shocking for us here on the ground. What do you think the Chinese government wants? What are they doing? What are their goals with some of these companies, Ben? 
I think that the, at the forefront of everything they do is stability in the economy and a, a, a prosperous uh, social framework. Uh, and so every decision that they're going to take uh, is usually going to fall into line with those two core tenets. So in the case of education, uh, the feeling was that uh, this sector had gotten way ahead of itself, that, uh, that firms were essentially milking parents uh, and creating a really high-tension environment uh, where it was required to take all these after-school testing programs in order to get your kids uh, into the right schools. Uh, it was no longer egalitarian. Uh, parents weren't able to afford these programs. And so as a result, the Chinese government has stepped in to try to make education more egalitarian across the market. Likewise, uh, things like data privacy, and consumer protection. And then uh, when it comes to companies themselves, the Chinese government doesn't want more um, uh, fraud cases in the market. So they're going to work very hard to further regulate companies yeah. that are not operating uh, under Chinese law through these VIE structures, offshore uh, listed companies. And therefore, I think we'll see continued scrutiny on that structure. Well, it's not just been them, Ben, as well. I mean, is Alibaba. Look at Jack Ma. By the way, where is Jack Ma been? One of the world's foremost businessmen for years. I mean, literally just kind of gave up control and, and, and sort of went away. Maybe that's his own decision. Maybe not. Uh, do you think the Chinese government is still going to look at specific companies or do you think most of the, the regulatory damage, for lack of a better term, may be done? So again, Alibaba and Ant Financial particularly is one of those businesses that's under intense scrutiny for uh, monopolistic policies. It was a company that, frankly, wouldn't exist under American or European regulatory frameworks. They had licenses that controlled all aspects of your life, from media to banking to e-commerce. Uh, and so as a result of that, the company got too powerful uh, in, for the eyes of local regulators. And, and as a result, it's going to have to do some divestments, breakups, uh, much as would have occurred and has occurred historically in Western markets. So Didi, um, uh, Didi and Alibaba were similar in that sense that they were both viewed as monopolistic and unnatural monopolies within their respective spaces. So I think if you're in one of those businesses, you should be aware. Ben Harburg of MSA. Ben, it's an important conversation. We're glad you're on for it. Ben, thank you. Have a great day. Appreciate it. All right, coming up, big news from the Olympics as America's biggest star is about to make a big-time comeback. Plus, your top trending stories. And we're not showing you these pictures for no reason. We're going to talk more about the Montana town that is now so hot, they're calling it Bose Angeles. Yeah, Bose Angeles. Not sure that's what you want. We're back right after this. Today's big number, $1 billion. That's how much LeBron James has earned in his career. The first active player in a U.S. team sport to reach that mark, according to Sportico. James has earned $330 million in playing salary and another $700 million off the court. Michael Jordan was the first to reach a billion, but only after his playing career. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. 
See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. All right, welcome back. And let's get a check on some of this morning's other big news headlines. NBC's Philip Menes in New York now with those including a big new update from the Olympics. Philip, good morning. Good morning, Brian. Yeah, we will get to that in just a minute. But first, the U.S. and the U.K. joined Israel in accusing Iran of a deadly drone strike on an Israeli-operated oil tanker off the coast of Oman. Two people were killed. Iran denies any involvement. Secretary of State Antony Blinken said there's, quote, no justification for this attack, which follows a pattern of attacks and other belligerent behavior. Western wildfires are so widespread, smoke is triggering air quality warnings in the Midwest. Those with respiratory or heart disease, the elderly and children are encouraged to stay indoors. There are at least 87 fires burning in 13 states. Progress was made on Sunday against the nation's largest, bringing the bootleg fire in Oregon to 74 percent containment. An Olympic sprinter from Belarus received the protection of Japanese police after making a dash for freedom at an airport near Tokyo. Kristina Simonuskaya claims that her team was forcing her to return home after she publicly criticized her coaches. Poland was the first country to offer her a potential safe haven. And finally, this is the breaking news we were talking about just, a moments, just moments ago. USA Gymnastics confirmed that Simone Biles will compete in the balance beam final tomorrow. The four-time Olympic gold medalist has not competed since removing herself from the team final last Tuesday to focus on her mental and physical health. So, Brian, I guess Simone Biles has decided that she is ready to go go for that gold, the last opportunity she'll have in Tokyo to get one. Wow, good for her. Uh, best of luck to her and the entire team. I know the world will certainly be watching. Big headline there. Philip Menno, thank you very much. All right. All right. Now, let's step outside of that and get more of your top trending Monday stories, including a booming, well, Rocky's town, a movie studio coming to the UK and a very, very, very popular YouTube video. Contessa Brewer is back with those. What's going on with Bose Angeles? So it is actually a real estate boomtown in Bozeman, Montana. The median sales price for homes in Bozeman, Brian, was up 23.6% from 2020 between January and April, according to data from Realtor.com. There were 33 homes there that got sold, priced at more than a million dollars. Local agents say out-of-staters relocating during the pandemic fueled those soaring prices. And why not? Look at what you get when you go to Bozeman. What amazing, amazing territory. A huge movie studio is going to be built just outside London to make more blockbusters in the UK for content platforms like Amazon and Netflix. Sunset Studios, that's the studio behind The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air and Zoolander, is set to develop this site in Broxbourne. It's anticipated to cost some 700 million pounds, and the companies behind the studio say the facility will create more than 4,500 jobs for the area and will contribute some 300 million pounds a year to the local economy. And here's a video that will never say goodbye. The song Never Gonna Give You Up by Rick Astley has crossed 1 billion views on YouTube, boosted in part or maybe largely by the long-standing internet trend of rickrolling. This is a meme that consists of sending someone a link to the 1987 hit 
disguised as something else. So, for instance, if I sent you a link, say, Simone Biles is going to perform, but instead you get taken to Rick Astley's video. Astley took to Instagram to thank the viewers. He calls this milestone just mind-blowing. And why not? Rick rolling has been happening. I, I researched this because I had never heard of it, Brian. It, it's been happening since at least 2006. That's a long time to be Rick rolling. And, and truly, the song just, we're never going to give it up. We got breaking news. You've never Rick rolled any, I Rick roll people all the time. I mean, you're so much hipper than I am. Hipper. Is that even a word no, the kids but, say? But you know, a couple things. Number one, I, I just can't stop dancing. Um, number one, I love his video, the double denim. The double, the denim shirt buttoned all the way up, the big pants that are, uh, what do they call them, pegged at the bottom. And also, random but right. interesting, Contessa, you know how old he was when he made that song? 20. I, I mean, do not. I think of him as like he an looks older like a baby. guy. He was 20 or 21 years old. Probably the same age as you were in 1987. Yeah, no, I was 46. I felt eight, but I acted 14. Contessa, <laughs> you're going to get Rickrolled soon. Contessa, thank you. Don't open that link. Coming up, a big weekend at the box office. That's right, the box office is back. We're going to bring you some of the winners and the numbers all ahead going to be a big day of Rick rolling here on Worldwide Exchange. Dow futures up 190. We're back after this. Ready or not, here comes August. And forget the dog days because it looks like the bulls are actually in charge as stock futures surge. In Washington, the Senate finalizing the text of a trillion dollar infrastructure bill. But will the House sign it or send it packing? Plus, your morning RBI, all about COVID and vaccines, and maybe, just maybe, a reason to feel better, even with all the scary headlines out there. The real numbers you need to hear ahead on this Monday, August 2nd, and this is Worldwide Exchange. Oh, welcome or welcome back, everybody. 531 on the East Coast of the United States. Thanks for joining us. I am Brian Sullivan. Great to be back with you on this Monday, especially because the markets and your money, perhaps, are looking good to start the week. Always a little nicer and easier to wake up when there's a lot of green on the screen. We are seeing the futures up anywhere from five to six tenths of one percent. Numerically, that's about 190 on the Dow, about 90 on the Nasdaq. Look like a pretty good day. You never know, but right now it's indicated up. Now, the markets, as far as the averages last week, you'll read the headline and see that they were down. But when you dug in, you realized it was mostly just the big names, the heaviest weighted big tech dragging down the indexes. The reality is that last week, most stocks actually rose, including the small caps. Oh, and by the way, if you are counting at home, and even if you're not, we're going to tell you the major averages are now up six months in a row, kind of done it quietly and despite a lot of other headlines Stocks continue to go up. By the way, we do have the July jobs number coming out on Friday. That should be interesting. Also, you have to watch the GOAT stocks. That is our rather cheekily named Get Out and Travel Index. It is all the stocks that have to do with getting out and traveling. Things like cruise lines, airlines, hotels, restaurants, casinos. 
All the new COVID headlines sparking some new travel fears among some because there have been reports. And believe me, when they happen, you get the big headline of fully vaccinated cruise ship passengers testing positive for COVID, which, by the way, is to be expected because nothing is 100 percent effective. Las Vegas, by the way, reinstituting their mask mandate over the weekend for many counties, including Clark, which is where Vegas is. Mixed reactions there. And maybe we could see some cancellations. In fact, let's talk more now about that and bring back in Contessa because Contessa covers the casino sector um, for us here on CNBC. And perfect day to have you on, Contessa. I just got back from Vegas. I was there for a few days. It was the most crowded I have ever seen. I mean, I only half joked. If you wanted to eat, you had to. I'm 50 now, so I can do it. I ate at 4.45 p.m. Got the blue plate special with the AARP discount, or you eat at 10.30 at night. But the mask mandate coming back, no politics here. Do do you think, though, it could lead to some people choosing to stay away? What are you hearing? I I think that, one, the casinos already have the signs out. They were ready to roll out the, hey, you got to mask back up. And I talked to a source over the weekend who said he was in the middle of a poker tournament No masks, you know, very few masks at the table. And then he said, right as that mask mandate hit on Friday, the announcement went out and everybody had to don their masks right at the poker table. And he said everybody complied right then. The thing is, is that these are tourists who are driving the economy in Las Vegas. We knew the boom was coming. And that was while the mask mandates and social distancing restrictions were still in place. People were planning their Las Vegas travel. But you look at the two biggest operators on the strip here, MGM and Caesars, for all of last week, Caesars down more than 11 percent and MGM off nine and a half percent. We expect Caesars earnings this week. We should get a lot of color on whether the COVID variant, this Delta variant is going to impact the bottom line here. But by all accounts, the mask mandate does not affect people choosing to go to Las Vegas to travel. All right. So so right now we're going to wait. No, no clear indication that maybe some cancellations. Some people just maybe get Get frustrated, though, like I said, I saw a lot of masks anyway. A lot of people choose to wear them to feel safe for themselves, uh, even if they even if they don't have to. So that's a good thing. What else is going on on this Monday morning, Contessa? All right. Well, let's talk a little bit about uh, what's happening this morning. One of President Biden's top priorities for Congress and late yesterday, a rare weekend session, the Senate finally finalized the wording of its one trillion dollar bipartisan infrastructure bill. The text for that Infrastructure Investment and Jobs Act is more than 2,700 pages, and the bill includes $550 billion in new spending over five years to build roads and electric vehicle charging stations, as well as replace lead water pipes. A floor vote in the Senate is expected in coming days. Zoom says it will pay $85 million to settle a lawsuit claiming it violated users' privacy rights, according to a preliminary settlement filed over the weekend. The class action suit by some Zoom users alleges the company shared personal data with Facebook, Google, LinkedIn, and allowed hackers to disrupt meetings with pornography, inappropriate language, and other disturbing content. That's a practice called Zoom bombing. The settlement requires approval by a U.S. district judge. But if given the green light, subscribers would receive 15 percent refunds on their core subscriptions or 25 bucks, whichever is greater. And Zoom users who did not pay for an account can submit a claim for 15 dollars. 
while Disney's Jungle Cruise sailing to a better than expected opening of $34.2 million at the domestic box office this weekend, with an additional $27 million in ticket sales internationally and $30 million in paid streaming on Disney+. Plus. The film secured a total of $91 million in its first three days. That movie stars Emily Blunt and Dwayne Johnson, expected to be the last now of Disney's slate that is expected to be released in theaters and on Disney Plus at the same time. And that practice, of course, uh, got headlines over the weekend when Scarlett um, Johansson decided that she didn't like it and is protesting in court. Brian? Not as much of the box office, by the way. I'm going to Zoom bomb somebody with a Rick roll. It's going to be delicious. <laughs> Contessa, thank you very much. You're mashing up your trends. Time now. I'm just trying to stay relevant. Contessa, thank you. Time now for your morning RBI. And today, a little more of a serious topic. It's about COVID again, but maybe not in the way that you would think. Because like everything else in the news, context and facts are key in understanding a story. And while there, yes, are a lot of very big and somewhat scary headlines related to the Delta or other variants, let's put it into context. NBC News notes that based on the latest data in the 38 states that report this kind of data, there have been about 126,000 cases of people getting COVID after being vaccinated. That does sound like a lot. But remember, there have been 164 million people vaccinated in America, which means the infection rate is just 0.08%, not 0.8%, 0.08. And while any bad outcome is difficult to talk about, the hospitalization rate, even lower at 0.004. And the fatality rate of those vaccinated is just 0.001%. 0.001. Of course, these are not all the states and the numbers could go up, certainly. And they are likely to. And there likely will be more variants after Delta. As Dr. Scott Godley has said many times on Squawk Box over and over, this is going to become an endemic, meaning it's here to stay in some form. It may never actually completely go away. But don't be discouraged. Those numbers from NBC News that we show you, something very important, that the vaccines, they are working, probably even better than advertised. And the risk, while not zero, is about as close as you can get. It's lightning strike territory in terms of the worst outcomes. A lot of headlines, but hopefully those numbers are random, but important. Let's get more now perspective on this and how the Delta and other variants are impacting the United States. And bring in Chris Meekins back, who puts out these uh, couple weekly deep dives, always a must read. He is with Raymond James. And, and Chris, your pieces are sometimes 70 and 80 pages long. But to understand it, you got to dig in. You heard the RBI, and I'm not minimizing this in any way. I'm simply trying to put the numbers into context. What is your take? Well, I mean, obviously, any death is tragic to those who love that individual. But you're exactly right that when you look at just how effective these vaccinations are, it's really remarkable. Um, When you look at San Diego, for example, in California, what you see is eight times the number of unvaccinated people are getting sick than the number of vaccinated people with COVID. And what we know with vaccinated people is you have a much higher likelihood of having mild symptoms and not being hospitalized and not dying. And that's really a testament to the work that's been done on the vaccine side. I'd like to see a little more progress on the therapeutic side as well as we anticipate more variants. But right now, we have to say the vaccines are working and the more people that get vaccinated, 
the less likely we are to have even worse variants coming down uh, the track. And that's such an important point now also about treatments. Treatments have gotten a lot better, and certainly there's a lot of drugs that are out there. We don't talk about them very much. We talk a lot about vaccines, but we don't talk a lot about treatments. There are some things that are out there already, and there are some very promising trials that may be close. Are there not? There are, no question. I think uh, Merck has a great product, and the government initially took a pass on it with the leadership at BARDA, but uh, before Merck acquired the drug from a smaller company, but hopefully we'll be able to get that out the door in the next couple months. It really could be a game changer. Our goal here really is to accept the fact that we're not in the days where we're going to make COVID completely go away. People like to talk about herd immunity and we'll no longer have any cases in the U.S. Sadly, we're past that point. We missed that opportunity early in the pandemic with failures at CDC on the testing front and a lack of preparedness on the public health side. So now we're looking at really what's going to become endemic, which means we're probably going to need booster shots, just like we need yearly new flu shots to help alleviate um, the spread of really bad flu in the United States. But going forward, I think we can manage this in an effective way without having to worry about lockdowns or dramatic changes to people's lives. Yeah, and we, and we talk about the, and again, Dr. Gottlieb has is, is, is done a lot on this. Uh, he's talked a lot about this as well. These are not my words, these are his. And you got to remember the 1968 pandemic, which killed more than a million people worldwide. That's a low estimate, by the way. H3N2, which kind of has become our flu, which, by the way, is still deadly to a lot of people every single year. Do you anticipate, Chris, that ultimately that COVID, the Delta variant, the next, there's going to be other variants as well. I'm sure you would agree with that. This will ultimately morph into something that, sadly, we are going to have to live with in some way for the next few years, if not decades, like the Asian flu in 1968. Yeah, this is going to be with us a pretty long time. You know, Scott and I both worked together at the Department of Health and Human Services. I was in the area of public health preparedness. He was obviously at FDA as we were looking at what potential things could come down the pike. And the reality here is this is something we're going to have to deal with every year. But hopefully with effective treatments and people getting vaccinated, we can limit the potential really problematic variants. What we saw with Delta is it's much more transmissible. Facts from the CDC says it could be as transmissible as chickenpox at this point. So bottom line for the viewers here is if you don't get vaccinated, you're probably going to get COVID at some point. And if you're unvaccinated, the odds of you being hospitalized or dying are much higher. So hopefully people will get vaccinated. Chris, before we let you go, I know we got to go, but I got to ask you this too. That CDC study getting a lot of attention based on a very small group, you know, Provincetown Mass, kind of during a party week. Do you read into that CDC report as much as the headlines came out? Because it's it's almost kind of like saying, well, you know, and we took a sample from a week at Mardi Gras when it was raining and everybody was packed into bar, that's seriously, it's kind of a party week. That's the data set that they that they had or they chose to use. What's your take on that? I'm not saying people need to dramatically change their lives. What I will say is if you're unvaccinated, you need to be more careful about what you're doing. Ideally, you won't use just one of the gators or cloth masks you'll get in N95 or KN95 because of the way this virus is. But people should be able to continue going out to restaurants. Just this weekend, my wife and I went out to restaurants. We went and did some furniture shopping. 
out in the public. We haven't changed despite an increase in Delta here in Washington, D.C. So I think people can go about living their lives. It's just a matter of being more cautious if you're unvaccinated because you are at higher risk. Oh, did we mention Lollapalooza, by the way, a couple hundred thousand folks screaming? I know that it was outside, but then you got, you know, we're going to you go back to a hotel room likely afterwards. I know some people who had their teenage kids rocking Lollapalooza. We will see, but wish the best to everyone. Chris Meekins, always important inside of Raymond James. Chris, thank you. Thanks, Brian. All right. Short break here. Dow futures, they are up despite those concerns. And we will be right back. All right, time now for some of your big money movers on this Monday. Just two stocks today. Let's go. First up, Square. It is buying Afterpay for about $29 billion in stock to further expand into the growing buy now, pay later market. 31% premium on that deal. Stock two, Parker Hannafin. The U.S. industrial firm is buying British rival Megat for about $8.8 billion. And by the way, that deal is a 70% premium to Megat's closing price on Friday. Wow, congrats to shareholders there. Now to oil and energy. And on Friday, you might have seen that we were at Chevron's headquarters in California. We talked about a lot of things, including their most recent quarter, starting up their buyback program again and the shift to renewable energy for transportation. But the live TV interview wasn't all we did. We were able to have a longer form or thoughtful interview recorded later on, more than 10 minutes, in fact. And we hit everything from renewables to doing business around the world to increasing diversity in the oil and gas workforce. Here's part of our conversation where we asked Chairman and CEO Mike Worth about what he thinks will be the likely energy mix of the near future. Our primary focus in this will be uh, renewable fuels, uh, that's renewable natural gas, renewable diesel, sustainable aviation fuel, carbon capture, and, uh, and hydrogen. And so this is an organization to accelerate our progress in identifying the investment opportunities, the projects, and bringing these into the market at a greater pace and greater scale. Are they economic? It depends. In many instances, these uh, are economic when you are operating in an environment like we're in California, where there is a regulatory um, structure that creates incentives, uh, tradable credits, and things like that. The program is designed to encourage investment, and so it does just that. It creates conditions that allow investors to bring capital into these technologies and see a return on those investments. So uh, it's not economic everywhere, but it is economic in, in, in a number of markets around the world. And so that was a totally separate interview to the one that you saw live on the exchange that day. And there's a lot more to our conversation. You can check it out on CNBC.com. Let us know what you think. All right, on deck. Call it the super stealth stock rally, if you will. The S&P kind of quietly on a six-month win streak, the longest in nearly three years. Why? We'll talk about it coming up with stock futures looking to surge to kick off the month of August as well. And by the way, if you haven't already, a gentle nudge, be sure to follow our podcast. We're back after this. Yeah, look at those names. All kinds of earnings coming out this week. Kind of makes you dizzy as well. Look at that. It's going to be another big one. Well, let's get back down to the markets and your money because futures are higher. Stocks rolling on to month seven of a six-month win streak. That's right. The S&P 
up six months in a row. And stock futures indicating, hey, I mean, it's Monday, it's August 2nd, but still, we're up 201 points right now. So what is key for you to know right now? Joining us once again, Apex Financial owner and president, Lee Baker. I'd like to come on here, Lee, and pretend I'm all smart, like you, and that I knew we were up six months in a row. I actually did not. I knew we'd done well, but not that. I mean, a lot of bad headlines out there, Delta variants, China, concerns about back to school. But markets, well, they, they rick roll on. Why do you think? Is it just the Fed, the amount of cash? What, what's driven us like this? I think it's all of the above. You know, we're still experiencing that reopening. Uh, that's a trend that's going to continue. Last week when we saw a little bit of a pull off, uh, pull back in the broader markets, I think uh, what belied that fact was the just simply the issue that you had a few tech names uh, that represent an oversized uh, portion of the markets that you know had great earnings. The, their numbers look good, but they, they pulled back. And so that caused the broader indexes to come down. But when you take a look at it, more than 60% of the uh, S&P 500 was actually up last week. Yeah, and when we talk, we turn to COVID, and I tried to put some of the numbers into perspective in the RBI sure. as far as you know vaccinations and risks and everything like this. But from a market risk perspective, Lee, do you think the biggest risk is a headline to the something the effect of a major school district decides to go back all virtual in the fall? The the economic risk, the stay at home, the kids are now out of school again. Is is that the real risk for the markets around yeah, these headlines? So- Absolutely. So I, I think there's some risk there. I mean, you know, here in DeKalb County, Georgia, it's going to be the first day of school. As a matter of fact, in a couple hours, I'll be taking our daughter Lauren to school for the first time in a couple of years, which is totally weird. Uh, but you've got a couple of things coming together here. So we've got about 9.2 million job openings and about 9.5 million people that are currently unemployed. Now, the base assumption had been that as we get to September, schools open back up. Uh, you're going to have people, uh, I think, on September 6th is when the extended uh, additional unemployment benefits would roll back, we start to see some things begin to change in the job markets. But with this Delta variant, uh, you're hearing about parents that are a lot more concerned about the kids going back to school. And to your point, if you have a major school district uh, that shuts down, goes back to virtual because of a, a spiral, so to speak. And again, I think the major part about that is simply the fact that uh, our, our daughter, she's 16, she's old enough to get vaccinated. If you're talking about elementary school kids, uh, that's not even an option. So there's great concern there, and that could have an impact on the economy if you have a major district shut down. Yeah, and, and other than that, you've got the jobs number out this week. You've got all those. We showed that. Maybe we should show it again, this board with all the names. Ha- have you been pleased, Lee, with earnings and more particular guidance? Because at, what, 22 times trailing earnings on the S&P 500, give or take, we're not priced to perfection, maybe, but it can't be too far off. No, uh, you know, so have I been pleased? Yes. You know, again, the, the numbers that came out last week look really good. Uh, I think we're going to see some really good numbers, uh, you know, further this week as we have more earnings come out. But I also think there's been some interesting scenarios where, like you said, if you're looking at 22, I think there's some opportunities with some companies that have come out with, uh, you know, some 17, you know, percent uh, earnings type numbers and uh, represent. A, uh, a gap in the, the growth. So things like Pfizer, for example, a uh, great company just has not done as well um, as, as some of the other companies. So I think there's some opportunities out there, particularly in the healthcare segment, as we're looking at this Delta variant spread. All right. Staying focused on the market and maybe some of the healthcare names. Lee Baker of Apex Financial. Lee, Absolutely. Hey, good day to be on. Dow Futures up 200. 
Hey, Make it work tomorrow to as well, please. Hey. Yeah, and by the way, I can't believe your kids are back in school. It's August 2nd. It's got to be 100 degrees in Georgia. All right. Lee, thank you. Well, that does it for us here on Worldwide Exchange. We'll see you tomorrow. We're leaving you and Squawk Box with Dow Futures up 200. You're welcome. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern only on CNBC. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.